Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Thank you for being part of the program. I want to play this audio for you real quick of the President of the United States. But uh, she was the same uh, in person as she as her image. Decent, honorable, and all about service. And uh, our hearts go out to the royal family, to King Charles and all the family. It's a loss that leaves a giant hole. And uh, sometimes you think you'll never, you'll never overcome it. But uh, as I've told the king, she's going to be with him every step of the way, every minute, every moment. And that's a reassuring notion. So to all the people of England, all the people of the United Kingdom, our hearts go out to you, and uh, you were fortunate to have had her for 70 years. We all were. The world's better for her. That was President Biden uh, at Buckingham Palace, uh, where he was attending a gathering of world leaders there for today's funeral. This actually is the biggest global story today. Uh, I'm not making that up, actually. Uh, It's not my opinion. Literally every news channel on the planet, even the Russians, had a live feed of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. It was at 6 o'clock this morning, uh, uh, Eastern time here in the United States. It has been covered by every network uh, from CNN to Fox to MSNBC to even Bloomberg and CNBC this morning. The the network that covers business stopped and covered live the funeral at Westminster Abbey. Every major newspaper and every major news website in the world, the lead story was the funeral of this woman who reigned but did not rule for 70 years And I have gotten a number of emails from friends of mine and comments on Instagram from friends of mine of of why on earth does this matter? This is ridiculous. This is archaic. Uh, I'm an American. I don't have to care about it. As an American, I don't have to care about the British monarchy. I'm somewhat fascinated by an archaic, outmoded institution that continues to live on, revitalize itself, and remake itself. Uh, Several friends of mine have said this is ridiculous. Uh, This woman did nothing. Actually, she did a great deal. And people's unwillingness to acknowledge it uh, is defied by the massive wave of people who stood nine hours to tell her goodbye. Just because she did nothing for you doesn't mean she didn't do anything for anyone. She did a lot for the world. Most specifically, what she did is fell into a role she was not born to inhabit. And that was thrust upon her. And because of her duty, she undertook it and did not try to weasel her way out of it, did not abdicate from it, and did this role for 70 years wore a heavy crown upon her head. She had very limited power. She has powers in the British Constitution. She has the power to veto. She she alone can declare war. When there is no prime minister, she uh, has all the power, every last bit of it. 
And what is most remarkable about it is in order to preserve the institution, being indwelled with all of the powers of government, she does not use them. She is directed by others on when to use them, how to use them, and usually is directed by others on what to say. The prime minister approves her speeches typically. And she did it all. She outworked people younger than her, showed up at events all over her realms, built relationships with people, and used soft diplomatic power at times to repair relations that her governments could not themselves repair. And so I think it's worth the whole world coming together to celebrate this woman's life who, again, she her father was not meant to be king. He was king because his brother abdicated the role, which put her as first in line to a throne she didn't seek, didn't want, and yet pledged her whole life to serve. And she served her whole life. She kept her word. So I've got a lot of friends who say this is ridiculous. The institution's archaic. It should go away just like her. There's no reason that people should be crying about this old woman dying. Actually, I think she's kind of the model public servant and kind of the, the model Christian, as it were. She was thrust into a role she didn't want, and she did it flawlessly without very much complaint, if any at all. I have mentioned this recently. I was talking to a franchise owner of a Chick-fil-A and was asking him about his struggles. Prices are obviously a struggle. Uh, food prices continue to go up. Chick-fil-A works very hard not to continually jack up prices. They tend to raise prices every few years, and they raise to enough that as inflation creeps up on them, uh, they can go a number of years without a price increase, and they just have smaller and smaller margins, but they continue to make a profit. And that's a real struggle when inflation is regularly over 8%. But he said the number one problem he's facing right now is work ethic of young people. That you can get a high school student who will show up who wants to make money, and they're there the first day. If they stay, they complain constantly about what they like, don't like, and think should be different. Never mind that they're the employee, not the employer. They want it their way or no way. And he said more than all, more often than not, they just don't show up. They show up. They don't like it, they leave. He was remarking how I should advise my kids, which I have subsequently done, that if you want a good job and you want to get ahead in life, just show up, don't complain, do your job and go home. You don't have to bring your whole self to the office. You don't have to bring everything on. You don't have to do all of that. You just show up, show up on time, have good manners, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Have a good work ethic. You don't complain. You understand it's not your job to complain or tell others how to do their job unless that becomes your job, and maybe over time it will. He says, but the, the number of kids, he said, Gen Z, who feel entitled to show up and dictate how they will perform their job has gotten kind of out of hand, this entitlement mentality of the 16, 17, 18-year-olds who are showing up at work and he, even into college. And some of them, he says, it just makes them not want to keep these people. But oftentimes, these people decide they're not going to stay. They, they don't show up the next day. Or after a week on the job of complaining nonstop, they just walk off the job. Here was a woman who for 70 years took on a job she couldn't really walk away from. And she didn't complain. And to use modern parlance, she out-hustled everybody. 
She outworked her kids. She outworked her cousins. Yes, the crown was on her head, so she should, but she didn't have to. She was the queen. And she did it and drew people to her. Now, there's an interesting contrast here because I very intentionally, to make this point, played Joe Biden's speech, his interview about what he said to King Charles III about Queen Elizabeth. How many of you reacted negatively to hearing his voice? Truth be told, I do a little bit. Our founders decided that the president of the United States could serve in the dual role as head of government and head of state. And that there were jobs the president could do that transcended the role of head of government to head of state where he was all of our president. Nowadays, I remember when George W. Bush was elected, lots of people held up signs on the Democratic side said, not my president. 9-11 brought a lot, but not all people together. And then it got fractured again over time when Donald Trump became president, of course. You had riots in the streets of Washington, D.C., looting, vandalism, burned cars, that girl holding her head screaming, no, not my president, they said. And Republicans, of course, over time have reciprocated. Joe Biden's not their president. Actually, the president of the United States is your president, and he is my president, whether we want him to be president or not. He is. And the founders put him in a role where he had to transcend partisanship on occasion, but it's become harder and harder for presidents to do that. Even when they want to do it very often, they make partisan points as the president. Look, I mean, this president had a speech that he billed as a presidential address where he attacked half the country as, as authoritarian fascists who were unworthy of support. And he had Marines standing behind him and he used the presidential seal. Of course, I mean, that was a point where the president was to address the nation as president for all of us and took to task half of the country dividing us. Even when he used his address on 9-11, he went after a significant portion of this country who merely disagrees with him on policy. He took the opportunity to be a uniter as the head of state and used it as head of a political party to prosecute a case against half of the country. So when you hear this president's voice, as Democrats heard Donald Trump's voice, you as a partisan tend to bristle. Now, compare that to Elizabeth II, who you rarely heard from but when you did hear from her, she united everyone. You didn't know where she stood on the political issues. You might have suspected. Word might have occasionally gotten out. But by and large, you did not know. And so she was the vessel into which you could pour your hopes and dreams. By being somewhat of an enigma, without political views, she could be the head of a nation. You could see her face on a coin, and it was not a controversial symbol of authoritarianism. It was the Queen of England. You could rally to her and her cause because whatever her cause was, you didn't know, so you presumed it to be your cause. The British, they got that right. And so there's been much commentary today on the pageantry. 
and how the British get pageantry. The British get the symbols and trappings of state. Oh, they do. Uh, you know, at the turn of the of the 20th century, it was all a disaster. The coronations were disaster. The, the, the funerals were disaster. Things were dropped along the way. People tripped. It was somewhat of an embarrassment. And uh, they decided that um, King Edward, that they had to get with the pageantry. And then what was it, uh, George V uh, decided that they, they needed to get on with the modern era, with TV and radio, that this was all coming and they better get up to speed and polish the shoes and get it all right, uh, that if the British monarchy was going to survive, it would have to survive before the cameras. And so they've played it all up, the pageantry and the ceremony. They have. But really, I think what they got right is over time as the British Constitution, which is not in writing like ours. It's a nebulous constitution of precedent and traditions over time. They understood that there needs to be a national symbol that everyone can rally to beyond a flag, but to a person who is somewhat of an empty vessel, an enigma that everyone can pour their hopes and dreams into. Our presidents used to understand that there were times that they had to rise to the occasion and be the president of everyone, not just the leader of a political party or the head of a government. And they've tended to forget this, and we've forgotten it too and don't really give them the grace to be able to do it. So the significance of Elizabeth II dying and the monarchy continuing is that the British have an institution that they can look to as the embodiment of their nation, not of their government. The prime ministers go, the crown stays, and it matters greatly to them, but not just to them. More than a billion people around the world, some getting up at midnight, some at two o'clock in the morning, depending on where they were in the world, got up to watch the pageantry, to watch the ceremony, to watch the death and burial of Queen Elizabeth II. And maybe instead of dismissing it and thinking everyone's silly and nonsensical and, and uh, insulting the people who cared, maybe wonder actually outside of your cynicism and disdain for an institution you don't care for, maybe wonder why it was, why it is, and at least begin to appreciate the fact that here lies Elizabeth II, the Queen of England, Ireland, the Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and 17 other nations and head of the Commonwealth. She didn't want the job. She didn't ask for the job. She didn't apply for the job, but she did the job for 70 years until the bitter end. And that alone, I think, in a day and age where so many people move from job to job that they get to choose, that alone is probably worth celebrating her life and to a degree mourning the loss of the second Elizabethan age. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be on the program, if you text the word DATA to 33777, I'll send you back a link to my daily email. If you subscribe to the show notes, you'll get the DeSantis interview as a standalone uh, audio file in addition to the show notes of the show. And I got I to gotta say, Philip is off this week. He took his wife on a cruise. And so I'm having to actually really do the show notes. Normally I compile all the stuff I'm going to talk about, put it in an outline, and then he works it up. And and so I'm having to do it myself like old school, like when I was running Red State, and I'm able to do it. Now, I got to play you some audio here that I just absolutely adore. 
And in fact, if you if you got the stack of stuff, if you got the show notes today, you you would have this audio file because I just uh, I, I'm I find it remarkable. We hardly see these anymore. Uh, this is Appalachian State. They were playing Troy, and at the end of the game, it's a hail mary, and the score is twenty eight twenty six. Troy is ahead of Appalachian State. Two seconds left on the clock. You got a receiver not not sure where he needs to be lined up. Robinson in motion slot. Here's Bryce. Rolling out. Time to heave it deep. Throws it shy of the goal line, and that ball is tipped around. It's caught. Wow! Oh, that's a touchdown! Wow! The win it! It's a, a Hail Mary. You, you hardly ever see these anymore. Uh, college football continues to be so amazing uh, to me. I look, I, I, I stayed on my front porch. I actually worked last night. Didn't have anybody come over last night. Um, I, I had a pile of work I had to do. I sat on the front porch until 11 watching my team. Uh, I actually own the Green Bay Packers. I'm, I'm one of the owners of the Green Bay Packers. I feel obligated to watch them. So I watched them. But college football to me just remains absolutely remarkable. The, the passion that uh, these guys so often play uh, on the field that you don't necessarily always see in the NFL because those kids in college, they want to get to the NFL. They got to shine. And once they're in the NFL, sometimes some of them played a little safe. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to take risks. Uh, it's just remarkable to watch a football game like that. Now, listen, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you like football or not. Just understand what actually happened. This team is losing by two points. There are two seconds on the clock. The quarterback can't see anyone downfield to throw to because they're all surrounded by the defense for Troy State, and so he just hurls the ball down the field. And up out of that crowd of of, uh, the defensive end for, for Troy, jumps up one of the Appalachian State receivers, grabs the ball, goes around, and scores a touchdown. It just, I mean, literally, the guy just launched that football, didn't know who it was going to, didn't know if it was going to be caught. It didn't matter. They're already going to lose two seconds on the clock, and they wind up winning the game. It just, it was, it was actually amazing to see it. And now Appalachian State, after the Texas A&M game and this, I, I'm waiting for them to suddenly rank very high in, in, in the polling for these sports teams. Unbelievable. When we come back, something else unbelievable, the Washington Post has finally allowed its columnists to go there, direct comparisons of the GOP to the Nazis. They're losing their mind. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, happy to have you. Now, we got to get into, well, uh, so friends... There comes a time in every radio show host's career where he becomes petrified. He's about to say something on the radio that's going to get him fired. A naughty word. And I'm going to try not to say this naughty word or several naughty words getting into this nonsense. Uh, There really is a meltdown happening in the left, on the left in the media these days. I want you to follow along with me here on something. 
if you subscribe to my show notes, you whether you paid or not, you would get these links, uh, in particular this from Josh Crashauer uh, from, the, from Axios. After Democrats' surge in political momentum over the summer, signs indicate the midterm environment is tilting back in the GOP's direction. Republicans aren't likely to ride a historic red wave to power, but they're well-positioned to comfortably win back the House and are on surer footing than just weeks ago to net to the one seat necessary to capture a narrow Senate majority. Inflation isn't slowing down. Biden's celebration of the Inflation Reduction Act occurred a day when the stock market plunged over 1,200 points, prompting ridicule from Republicans. The student loan forgiveness plan is opposed by many Democrats, especially those in swing states and districts. A New York Times-Siena poll showed 49% of respondents favor cancellation of up to $20,000 in debt, but the president didn't even mention it in his Philadelphia speech touting his accomplishments. Republicans hold momentum in several key Senate races, notably in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Georgia. In Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz is pressuring John Fetterman to debate amid questions of Fetterman's health. Republicans are portraying Democrats as soft on crime in all three races. The Real Clear Politics polling averages in Georgia and Nevada now show the Democratic senators tied or trailing their Republican challengers. Marquette Law School released a poll in Wisconsin showing Ron Johnson closing a seven-point deficit from last month. Republicans are still struggling to advance a winning message for their party, but they're improving. Now, Republicans have some troubles. In New Hampshire, Don Bolduc, the Republican there, isn't a great candidate. Blake Masters is not a great candidate in Arizona, but it appears the GOP could pick up Georgia and Nevada and hold Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and that would give them net two in the Senate. If they lose Pennsylvania or Wisconsin and they pick up Georgia and Nevada, they win one seat. They get the Senate. They're going to get the House at this point. It's not even a question. The Republicans are going to get the House of Representatives. And so what is happening is a meltdown in the media by opinion columnists and editorialists. Jill Lawrence is a progressive writer in USA Today. Now, let me read you what she wrote. I feel terrible thinking this much less writing it. I've covered many Republicans whom I've admired. I spent months reporting on political negotiations and how deals get made in Congress. I believe policy debates and compromises are healthy. And the Democratic-led Congress has produced solid bipartisan results this year in gun safety, infrastructure, industrial policy, other areas. Even so, the Republican Party is on a dark path and should not hold power anywhere until it comes back into the light. This is especially true on Capitol Hill. Congressional math is unforgiving. If there is just one more Republican than Democrat in the House of the Senate, a power-obsessed party enthralled to election deniers and conspiracists will control everything. I mean, she really genuinely, truly goes there that you cannot vote for anything. You cannot vote for any Republican. You cannot vote for any of them. You must avoid them all. Even 
than the good ones, she says. You must not vote for a Republican. And then there is the mentally unstable Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post. A buddy of mine sent me a video last night. It was of a chihuahua. That chihuahua had a rubber, like one of those squeaky rubber chickens tucked up under its back feet, and that chihuahua was riding that rubber chicken. Uh, I mean, it's just going to town on that rubber chicken. Squeak, 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 all through the house, that thing, bobbing up and down on top of that. That's basically what Jennifer Rubin does these days in the Washington Post to any Democrat that she comes along. Every position Jennifer Rubin once held, she now holds exactly the opposite. And for years, the Washington Post claims she was covering the right of the from the right. She's not. Uh, the, the woman's got some serious issues. And they, she's finally going full crazy. And now she is accusing the Republicans of being the Nazi party. Donald Trump has gone full QAnon, she writes, as he spoke during a rally for Ohio Republicans. A soundtrack, a soundtrack, y'all, musical selections, in other words, associated with the conspiracy theory play that elicited one arm salutes, a QAnon symbol for many attendees. The display bore an uncanny resemblance to the infamous Nazi salute. The delusional incitement and zombie-like response should put to rest the notion that President Biden or anyone should be reaching out to these people. They are unreachable and pretending otherwise misleads voters. No Republican should ever escape an interview or news conference without being asked to condemn this event. The cynical GOP leaders who know that Trump is unfit for office and that many of his cult followers have become violent should not be treated as ordinary party hacks. They are enablers of a dangerous movement, yet they continually evade persistent aggressive questioning. Like, why haven't you said anything about someone attempting to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh? Why have you not called for an FBI investigation into the fire bombings of pregnancy centers around the country, Mr. President? Oh, wait. I'm sorry. We're supposed to be saying the Republicans are the ones enabling a dangerous movement. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's let, 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 go back. Compare this with the mainstream media's response to Biden's recent speech condemning the MAGA movement. Biden, though he generously and inaccurately in my book, distinguished the movement from the Republican Party at large, highlighted the MAGA movement's far-right extremism and its refusal to ascribe to the basic tenets of democracy. Yet many in the mainstream media turned up their noses, calling him divisive. Now, I want you to pay attention to this key line here. Biden, though he generously and increasingly and inaccurately in my book, though he generously and inaccurately in my book, distinguished the movement from the Republican Party writ large. In other words, Jen Rubin can't bring herself to distinguish from the Republican Party those who advocate conspiracy theories about the election, QAnon, and the like. They're all the same to her. They're all the same to her. Stereotype much? Joe Lawrence, USA Today, says you can't vote for any Republican at all, no matter how good they are. They all have to lose, lest the GOP get back power. They're upset with Glenn Youngkin now. 
Glenn Youngkin, the moderate Republican of Virginia, has gone to Arizona to campaign for Kerry Lake. And the media that really didn't like him to begin with, but tried to treat him as a reasonable non-Trump Republican, they're now excoriating him for hanging out with an election denier. Of course, they freaking hate Ron DeSantis, and DeSantis is on the road as well, went to Kansas to campaign for a Republican there, and CNN is all upset that Republicans praised him over his stunt about Martha's Vineyard. First of all, there are several things you, you got to pay attention here. One, these people are no longer columnists, editorialists, journalists, or, or reporters. They are content creators. There's no difference between them and some crazy kid on TikTok acting out in order to get clicks to generate revenue. That's exactly what this is. Their brains are broken and they become content creators. There's no objectivity. They hate everyone who disagrees with them. They despise the GOP. They don't intend to even give it a fair hearing. And all they're doing is creating content designed to generate clicks for their respective institutions. And whether it's a hate click or a like click, it's a click and they generate money. They are content creators. The other thing to pay attention to here that is very important is to understand that there is no reasonable Republican anymore to these people. None. Unless you bend to their will and vote Democrat and are indistinguishable from the Democratic Party, you're not a reasonable Republican. You're a MAGA. You're a maggot, according to some of these people. They hate you. They can't distinguish. Because you've chosen to stay in the Republican Party, you are an anathema. To them. And you're also going to win. This is going to be the funny part of all of this. Republicans are taking back the House of Representatives and they're going to do well in a number of state elections as well. Republicans are going to win back the House and they may very well take back the Senate of the United States. And in so doing, what are these people going to do? I mean, you literally, you've got Jill Lawrence of USA Today saying you can't vote for any Republican. We can't allow them to get back power. They are a threat to our democracy. You have Jen Rubin in the Washington Post saying all Republicans everywhere are Nazis. Listen to this from Jen Rubin. Herein rests the fundamental failure of the mainstream political media. Far too many continue to disguise the political reality we face. They refuse to use appropriate descriptors to describe Republican conduct, such as fascist or racist. Instead, they mislabel radical authoritarians as conservative. If this were a foreign country, the media would accurately describe the MAGA movement as a far-right cult. Yet in the United States, too many reporters can't help themselves in normalizing the movement. It's no coincidence, by the way, and she's quoting Margaret Sullivan here, the media critic. Uh, it seems to be very deep in the mainstream press's DNA to strain for equality where none exists. It's no coincidence that these are hysterical progressive women as well. I mean, the historical progressive men are bad enough, but the historical progressive women get platforms to be unhinged where you're not allowed to point out they're unhinged because you're a misogynist if you do. And so the media trots them out and gives them some veneer of impenetrability that you're not allowed to criticize them. They're women, even if they're unhinged, crazy hysterics. Here's the reality. The Republicans are going to win. And these people who compare them to Nazis and say they can't hold power, they're a threat to democracy, well, they're going to have to put up with it. 
And here's my fear. We had James Hodgkinson, who attempted a mass assassination of Republicans in Congress. And the media moved on once it turned out he was a Rachel Maddow watching Southern Poverty Law Center fan, uh, Bernie Sanders supporter. Media rapidly shifted gears when it turned out he was a progressive. And my fear is that given this unhinged rhetoric from the left that all Republicans are Nazis and they can't be allowed to take power when they do, not if they do, when they do, there's going to be more violence from the left and the American media is going to cover it up. The American media is going to give it lip service and move on. And the American media is going to take the attitude that, well, the shooter's the hero here. The Republicans got what they deserved. You can't move back away from a columnist at the Washington Post saying all Republicans are Nazis. You can't move back from a columnist, prominent columnist at USA Today, say no Republican, no matter how good, can be allowed to have power. These are the editorial voices of the left in the leading newspapers of America. And they've taken that position. And that position will lead to violence, and it's a violence to which they themselves will give a pass and undoubtedly make the murderer the hero as long as some Republicans get killed from it. And I don't say that lightly, but this is where we're headed. You can't go from all Republicans are Nazis, they can never have power, to Republicans taking power without then wanting to see something happen to stop those Nazis. Everybody wants to go back in time and kill baby Hitler. These people, they can't. What do they want to do? They're going to want to stop the Republicans somehow. Eventually, it leads to violence. It is obvious. It is James Hodgkinson 2.0. Thankfully, no one then got killed. But the rhetoric of the left against Republicans right now in major media institutions has gone too far, and someone on the right will get killed, and they will justify it when it happens. Right now, about the only thing getting killed is your 401k, your retirement plan, your your IRA. It's it's brutal out there. The markets, again, my goodness. Well, the Dow is now up nine. They've been down all day. It's something to behold, the, the dangers of the market. If you're interested at all in using gold and silver to protect your retirement, grow your retirement, reach out to my friends at GoldCo, 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. If you call Gold Co. 855-904-5933, you can find out how you qualify for their offer. They've helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and the wild swings of the stock market. They might be able to help you. 855-904-5933. Or you can text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Text it to 33777 and I'll send you their number back. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Well, this is the week. Hold on to your wallets. The Federal Reserve meets Wednesday. The Bank of England put off raising interest rates uh, given the death of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, it's now happening, three quarters of a point. It's expected that this will happen here as well. Bloomberg News has a story out today that more and more financial analysts are worried about the global economy headed off the deep end. It appears more and more the Chinese economy is collapsing. Uh, actual local state entities in China, not not supposed private entities. Now, there's no real private entity in China because it's all a communist nation. 
but between those who would be in the private sector if it was a capitalist society and the government itself, government agencies in China at the local level aren't paying their bills. That's like the electricity for the buildings and stuff that governments still pay for, they're not paying. That's a warning sign. Uh, real estate companies in, in China, they've tried to introduce a modified version of private ownership. It's still the state, uh, but you get to pretend that it's your property. People are defaulting on their loans at a record rate, as far as we can tell. The Chinese government gets to doctor all the data and is covering it all up, but it looks pretty bad, and it's going to be bad around the world. And as interest rates go up, it becomes more and more expensive for everything. The 10-year treasury note is soaring the right now. What does that mean? It means that people are pouring into the treasuries because of stock market turmoil. They're not happy. People aren't with the stock market right now. Uh, the Dow, as I'm speaking, is up 9.95 points. It's been holding kind of steady there. It was down originally this morning when I started the show. It was down about 45 points. It's recovered some. And there's a deep fear about the effects of the interest rate hike that's coming on Wednesday, and some people alarmed that it may actually be a full percentage point. I don't expect that to happen, but it could happen. They're trying desperately to slow inflation down, and it's higher than it should be. When we come back, we got to talk about what Joe Biden said to 60 Minutes last night. There were some notable things that he said, including that we would go to war with China to defend Taiwan. But what I find the most interesting and the bit that should be in every Republican ad campaign from here to the election is he was extremely dismissive of inflation. At a time, Americans say it is their number one issue. The NBC News battleground poll has the GOP and Democrats tied for Congress, which is really good for the GOP, actually. And stuff like this does not help the Democrats when Joe Biden laughs off inflation.